Section 28 of The House Behind the Cedars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut. Section 28. The Lost Knife. Rena had found her task not a difficult one so far as discipline was concerned. Her pupils were of a docile race, and school to them had all the charm of novelty. The teacher commanded some awe because she was a stranger, and some, perhaps, because she was white. For the theory of blackness, as propounded by Plato, could not quite counterbalance in the young African mind the evidence of their own senses she combined gentleness with firmness and if these had not been sufficient she had reserves of character which would have given her the mastery over much less plastic material than these ignorant but eager young people the work of instruction was simple enough for most of the pupils began with the alphabet which they acquired from webster's blue-backed spelling-book the palladium of southern education at that epoch the much-abused carpet-baggers had put the spelling-book within reach of every child of school age in North Carolina, a fact which is often overlooked when the carpet-baggers are held up to public odium. Even the devil should have his due, and is not so black as he is painted. At the time when she learned that Tryon lived in the neighborhood, Rena had already been subjected for several weeks to a trying ordeal. Wayne had begun to persecute her with marked attentions. She had at first gone to board at his house, or, by courtesy, with his mother. For a week or two she had considered his attentions in no other light than those of a member of the school committee, sharing her own zeal and interested in seeing the school successfully carried on. In this character, Wayne had driven her to the town for her examination. He had busied himself about putting the schoolhouse in order, and in various matters affecting the conduct of the school. He had jocularly offered to come and whip the children for her, and had found it convenient to drop in occasionally, ostensibly to see what progress the work was making. "'These children,' he would observe sonorously in the presence of the school, "'ought to be monstrous glad to have the chance of setting under your instruction, Miss Rena.' I'm sure everybody in this neighborhood appreciates the privilege of having you in our midst. Though slightly embarrassing to the teacher, these public demonstrations were endurable so long as they could be regarded as mere official appreciation of her work. Sincerely in earnest about her undertaking, she had plunged into it with all the intensity of a serious nature which love had stirred to activity. A pessimist might have sighed sadly or smiled cynically at the notion that a poor, weak girl, with a dangerous beauty and a sensitive soul, and troubles enough of her own, should hope to accomplish anything appreciable toward lifting the black mass still floundering in the mud where slavery had left it, and where emancipation had found it, the mud in which, for aught that could be seen to the contrary, her little feet, too, were hopelessly entangled. It might have seemed like expecting a man to lift himself by his bootstraps. But Rena was no philosopher, either sad or cheerful. 
she could not even have replied to this argument that races must lift themselves and the most that can be done by others is to give them opportunity and fair play hers was a simpler reasoning the logic by which the world is kept going onward and upward when philosophers are at odds and reformers are not forthcoming she knew that for every child she taught to read and write she opened if ever so little the door of opportunity and she was happy in the consciousness of performing a duty which seemed all the more imperative because newly discovered her zeal indeed for the time being was like that of an early christian who was more willing than not to die for his faith rena had fully and firmly made up her mind to sacrifice her life upon this altar her absorption in the work had not been without its reward for thereby she had been able to keep at a distance the spectre of her lost love her dreams she could not control but she banished tryon as far as possible from her waking thoughts when wayne's attentions became obviously personal rena's new vestal instinct took alarm and she began to apprehend his character more clearly she had long ago learned that his pretensions to wealth were a sham he was nominal owner of a large plantation it is true but the land was worn out and mortgaged to the limit of its security value his reputed droves of cattle and hogs had dwindled to a mere handful of lean and listless brutes her clear eye when once set to take wayne's measure soon fathomed his shallow selfish soul and detected or at least divined behind his mask of good nature a lurking brutality which filled her with vague distrust needing only occasion to develop it into active apprehension occasion which was not long wanting she avoided being alone with him at home by keeping carefully with the women of the house if she were left alone and they soon showed a tendency to leave her on any pretext whenever wayne came near she would seek her own room and lock the door she preferred not to offend wayne she was far away from home and in a measure in his power but she dreaded his compliments and sickened at his smile she was also compelled to hear his relations sing his praises my son jeff old mrs wayne would say is the best man you ever see his first wife had the easiest time and the happiest time a airy woman in this settlement he's grieved for her a long time but i reckon he's getting over it and the next woman what marries him'll get a box of pure gold if i does say it as is his own mammy rena had thought wayne rather harsh with his household except in her immediate presence his mother and sister seemed more or less afraid of him and the children often anxious to avoid him one day he timed his visit to the schoolhouse so as to walk home with rena through the woods when she became aware of his purpose she called to one of the children who was loitering behind the others wait a minute jenny i'm going your way and you can walk along with me wayne with difficulty hid a scowl behind a smiling front when they had gone a little distance along the road through the woods he clapped his hand upon his pocket i declare to goodness he exclaimed if i ain't dropped my pocket knife i thought i felt something slip through that hole in my pocket just by the big pine stump in the schoolhouse yard 
Jenny, child, run back and hunt for my knife, and I'll give you five cents if you find it. Me and Miss Rena walk on slow till you catches us. Rena did not dare to object, though she was afraid to be alone with this man. If she could have had a moment to think, she would have volunteered to go back with Jenny and look for the knife, which, although a palpable subterfuge on her part, would have been one to which Wayne could not object. But the child, dazzled by the prospect of reward, had darted back so quickly that this way of escape was cut off. She was evidently in for a declaration of love which she had taken infinite pains to avoid. Just the form it would assume she could not foresee. She was not long left in suspense. No sooner was the child well out of sight than Wayne threw his arms suddenly about her waist and smilingly attempted to kiss her. Speechless with fear and indignation, she tore herself from his grasp with totally unexpected force and fled incontinently along the forest path. Wayne, who, to do him justice, had merely meant to declare his passion in what he had hoped might prove a not unacceptable fashion, followed in some alarm, expostulating and apologizing as he went. But he was heavy, and Rena was light, and fear lent wings to her feet. He followed her until he saw her into the house of Elder Johnson, the father of several of her pupils, after which he sneaked uneasily homeward, somewhat apprehensive of the consequences of his abrupt wooing, which was evidently open to an unfavorable construction. When, an hour later, Rena sent one of the Johnson children for some of her things, with a message explaining that the teacher had been invited to spend a few days at Elder Johnson's, Wayne felt a pronounced measure of relief. For an hour, he had even thought it might be better to relinquish his pursuit. With a fatuousness born of vanity, however, no sooner had she sent her excuse than he began to look upon her visit to Johnson's as a mere exhibition of coyness, which, together with her conduct in the woods, was merely intended to lure him on. Right upon the heels of the perturbation caused by Wayne's conduct, Rena discovered that Trion lived in the neighborhood, that not only might she meet him any day upon the highway, but that he had actually driven by the schoolhouse. That he knew or would know of her proximity there could be no possible doubt, since she had freely told his mother her name and her home. A hot wave of shame swept over her at the thought that George Trion might imagine she were following him, throwing herself in his way, and at the thought of the construction which he might place upon her actions. Caught thus between two emotional fires at the very time when her school duties, owing to the approaching exhibition, demanded all her energies, Rena was subjected to a physical and mental strain that only youth and health could have resisted, and then only for a short time. End of section 28 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista